This is the City Sites Podcast with Larry Kutzler. To me, Jesus was the God of the Gentiles to the Christians, and it's not something Jewish people would embrace. In fact, my grandmother told me, beware of Christians, they kill their own. So if they'll kill their own, they'll certainly kill us. When I was growing up, my father was like a God to me. I wanted to be just like him. But we weren't getting along for a while, and on this day we got in a, in a bad argument. And I remember screaming at him and running out of the house. I was so angry. 30 seconds later, my brothers called me in to come back in. And he was laying on the floor, and I turned him over. And as I turned him over, he took his last breath. And I just remember just screaming out, forgive me, forgive me. I killed my father, and I was just devastated. So I went out to a bookstore and I bought a Bible. I said, I got to look at this for myself. In the first sentence of Matthew, it says, this is a genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David and the son of Abraham. To me, that was, that was shocking. This was a Jewish book. It was like the words came into my head and they just kind of resonated around my brain. So I started reading the gospels. That's the first four books of the of the New Testament. I read them once, then I read them again, then I read them again. I ended up reading them over 50 times. I started falling in love with Jesus because he had everything that I wanted. I found out that he truly was Jewish and he was speaking only to Jewish people. There weren't Gentiles around. He was serving them and loving them. Even those who wanted to do him harm, even those who were trying to to get rid of him, he loved. And he loved the Jews so much that he ended up giving his life up for them. One day I drifted into the book of uh, Romans and in Romans 5, 8, it says, but God demonstrates his love for you in this. While you were yet a sinner, Christ died for you. When I read those words, it really kind of transposed to my mind and it says, Tom, God demonstrated his love for you in this while you were still not performing up to expectation. Messiah died for you. That hurt and that pain that I had over my father dying in my arms after the argument, I finally was able to put that to rest and there was some real peace there. I guess for the first time when you're forgiven, you're set free so that you can embrace the peace that God wants us all to have. The two greatest revelations in my life came unexpectedly as well as unsolicited. The first one was salvation by a personal faith in Jesus Christ. The second one was finding out that Jesus and the gospel had a strong Jewish root to it. Well, the first one shouldn't surprise anyone, but the second might, because Jewishness is not something Christianity actually teaches in most churches today. Well, here are some facts I'd like to proceed with with my guest today on this podcast. First of all, Jesus never came to start a new religion. He came to fulfill the promises made to Israel and to initiate the new covenant of Jeremiah 31, 31 through 34. Secondly, all teachings of Jesus are rooted first in the Old Testament. 
Third, Shabbat is about remembering and observing. God does nothing in a vacuum. Number four, sin in the Old Testament was not removed, just covered. The Holy Spirit is active, but he was covering, not removing. And fifthly, Israel, like the church, were called to be a nation of priests. God has called us to intercede for others and care for others, as expressed in Exodus 19.5 and 1 Peter 2.4. My guest today is an old friend, not that he's old, but he's just an old friend. I've known him a long time, Tom Berkowitz. And it was Tom's story you heard in the opening moments of this podcast. Tom has led the largest community Bible study group in the country for many, many, many years. And many of those years, he's had over 600 attendees to the Bible study there on Monday nights. He is a retired investment broker and has organized annual trips to Israel. Tom grew up Jewish, and now he follows the Jewish Messiah. Tom, welcome. Well, thank you for having me, Larry. Tom, tell me a little bit about your growing up. I mean, you grew up, obviously, in a Jewish home. I don't know if you practiced Judaism, but tell us what happened when you actually accepted Jesus as your Messiah. Did that change your life socially, spiritually? How did it change you? Well, absolutely. I grew up in a secular Jewish home. We didn't observe Judaism. would do a Passover, would do occasional Shabbat dinners with uh, our other family members, but wasn't raised in the religion at all. But when I received Jesus as my Lord and Savior at the age of 29 in 1979, so now you can do the math and find out how old I am, radically changed my life. The first thing I did was, is I went and grabbed the, the same Bible that I was using. I went to my brothers who are 19 months younger. They're twins. So I went to the easiest twin first. And I said, Bill, I believe that Jesus is the Messiah. I read it in this book and the book is Jewish. And he got so mad at me, I had to wipe the spit off my face. You know, he was just spewing out so much. So then I went to his twin, Bob, and Bob slammed his fist on the table. And he said, Tommy, I hate Christians. Do you hear me? I hate them. Don't ever bring this up to me again. So I was sport at our family gatherings, especially from Bob. He just tormented me. But the good news is 10 years later, Bill called me up and he said, can we have lunch? So we had lunch. I said, what's on your mind? And he said, I'm really hurting inside. Do you have that Bible you promised me? And I'll read it now. And Bill, after looking through it, he called me up again. I said, what do I have to do? And I said, Bill, what's causing all this change? He said the most humbling thing to me I've ever had anyone say to me. He said, Tommy, I've been watching you for the last 10 years. You're not the same brother I grew up with. He saw a transformed life. And that's what happens when you receive Jesus as your Lord and your Savior. He doesn't leave you where you are. He transforms your life. Bill and I prayed in his living room for him to receive Jesus as his Messiah. When he told his wife about it, she said, how could you do anything so incredibly stupid? And they ended up getting a divorce. Mm. Then six years later, Bob called me up. He said, Tom, you had that Bible you promised me? I'll read it now. (laughs) Make a long story short. 
Bob received Jesus as his Lord and Savior also. But two years later, Bob, at the age of 46, 47, died of a heart attack. And I really saw the mercy of God. He was lost. And now he's living in eternity forever. What a great story, Tom. I mean, it really was and is because, you know, so many times our family members are the first to to tell us we're nuts and they just go away, then never return. So your story actually turned out fairly well. So praise the Lord on that. So, Tom, most Christians and Jewish people get something wrong. And here it is, that Jesus came to start a new religion. And that is so far from the truth that he started something new. He didn't start anything new. He did come and initiate the new covenant, but he didn't come to start Christianity, right? Tell us more about that. How do you see it? First of all, Jesus didn't have the New Testament. When they said he went to the scriptures, the only Bible Jesus had were the Hebrew scriptures. That's Jesus's Bible. I don't like calling it the Old Testament. I do because that's how people universally understand it. It's the Hebrew scriptures or Jesus's Bible. None of his disciples had that. In fact, one of my favorite portions of scripture is when you look at Luke 24, it's on the road to Emmaus, and Jesus came upon two men, and in the course of their conversation, they said, don't you know what's going on? And the guy we thought that was going to be the Messiah, he died. And now it's three days later. And some of our people say that somebody stole his Bible. They've seen him. And here's what Jesus said to them. You foolish men, slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary for the Messiah to suffer these things and come into his glory? Then beginning with Moses and with all the prophets, he explained to them the things written about himself in scriptures. Moses and the prophets is a way of saying the entire Hebrew scriptures, the entire Old Testament. So he explained to them everywhere where he was either hinted at or they talked about it directly. Hmm. It's amazing how we get that so wrong. In fact, Tom, I have a confession to you that I was well on my way as a believer in Jesus Christ before I realized that the New Testament had all of its roots in the Old Testament. (laughs) I don't know where I was. I don't know where I'd been. But all of a sudden, one day I realized I was reading the New Testament. I go, holy cow, this is written before long time ago in in the Hebrew scriptures of the Old Testament. And then I began to realize that, you know, all of this was written before and before it was written down in the New Testament. What do you say to people about that? That's what Paul used. That's what Peter used. That's what James used. That's what John used. They used the Hebrew scriptures. If you read what they wrote in the epistles, you'll find it's all birth in the Hebrew scriptures. It's not new. Jesus said himself in Matthew 5, 17 and going forward, do not presume that I came to abolish the law of the prophets. I didn't come to abolish the Hebrew scriptures. That's what he's saying there. We read it as law and prophets, but that's the idiom that Jews would use to the Hebrew scriptures, the Old Testament. I did not come to abolish, but to fulfill the scriptures. You can't know who Jesus is fully and who God is if you don't understand 
the Hebrew scriptures. Some people only read the New Testament, and there's power in that. But to fully understand, you got to read the whole book. In fact, when my brother Bob became a believer, he asked me, where should I start? And I said, well, start in the Gospel of John, because what was said there is what sparked him to, to seek out the Lord. And he called me up and he said, Tommy, what's wrong with you? How can you have me start in the middle of the book? I'm starting at Genesis and moving forward. <laughs> wow. So it taught me a good lesson. Here's the other thing he says. I did not come to abolish, but fulfill. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or stroke of letter shall pass from the law, from the Torah, from the scriptures, until all of it is accomplished. And we know right now it's not all accomplished. We're still waiting for his second coming. Amen. So you had said to me during a luncheon date we had not too long ago, you said Shabbat was about observing and knowing. And I hadn't heard about it that way before. And well, I actually said remember and observe. Okay, you said remember and observe. Okay, so you're remembering what God, who God is, what God did for you. And, and why is that? Is that only for Jews? I mean, can people celebrate Shabbat that maybe are Christians, but they can remember what God has done? Tell us the meaning of Shabbat again in your well, words. Well, first of all, it's a commandment of the Lord. It said, remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. Up until the time of Jesus's death and resurrection, the three things that separated Jewish people from the rest of the world was circumcision. It was keeping kosher, kashrut, and observing the Sabbath. That's what separated them from the rest of the world. Now, in the New Testament, they don't talk about any specific day for the Sabbath. But what they do talk about, and the two things that separate followers of Jesus from the world, is our belief in God. And it says, you should love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul. And the second is love your neighbor as yourself. And if you look at the high priestly prayer Jesus did in John 17, he said, make them one, make them one with us, and that they would have love, and by their love, they would see us. Now, that's a paraphrase of what it says, but the love of God and the love of our neighbor is what is the distinction for followers of Jesus. Now, going back to the Sabbath, we are called to keep that day holy. After God created the heavens and the earth on the first day, he said it was good. On the second day, he said it was good. On the third day, he said good twice. And that's why a lot of Jews in Israelis get married on Tuesday. The first day of the week was Sunday, Monday. So Tuesday would be the third day. Hmm. And then we get to the sixth day when he created us. And he said, it's very good. But on the seventh day, he called the day holy. So the purpose of that day is to focus on God. So when we do Shabbat, we're keeping the traditions of our people, the Jewish people throughout history. And there's something powerful on the sundown at Friday until sundown on Saturday, when you join with millions of other Jews throughout the world, honoring God and teaching. It says, in Deuteronomy 6, 4, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. 
And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk to them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. Mm. So the purpose of Shabbat is remember that God called this day holy. Now, today it could be Sunday. It could be whatever day that you set aside for the Lord. The day isn't important in the in the new covenant. What is important is that we remember what God did and we observe what he does and we teach our children. This last Friday, we had our family come in on Shabbat. We had Marty and Jenny Getz with us and they celebrated with us. And it was a holy time. And we get to breathe life into our grandchildren. So from it's in Hebrew, it would be Lador Vador, from generation to generation. And that's throughout Jesus's Bible, the Hebrew scriptures. Do this in remembrance. When Joshua led the Israelites into the promised land, he had rocks, memorial stones. So when your children ask what happened, tell them. You know, we're losing our generation. We do this every so often because we don't remember and observe God's Sabbath. It's a time when we can meet with our family and share with them. We are losing it, uh, Tom, because we are losing our traditions. Absolutely. And I remember the first time I experienced Shabbat in Jerusalem. I mean, it was Saturday afternoon, early evening. It was as dead as a doornail. I mean, there was nothing going on. And I was sitting at a table in a restaurant, and all of a sudden, the sun went down, and boom! It was just like Times Square. It was nuts. People yeah. came out of everywhere, and they were celebrating, and oh my goodness. It was such a joyous time. But the whole country shuts down to honor God. That's what it's supposed to do. Right. And how do we teach our children? I have seven grandchildren from 12 to five, and all of them know the Hebrew for that day. And they understand. And afterwards, at times, we'll talk about the commandment. And we'll talk about obedience to the parents. We talk about thou shall not murder. Well, And we talked that Jesus expanded. He didn't do away with that commandment, but he expanded it to gossiping and slander. What better message to hear? And we talk about how that's not a sign of love. And because we're followers of Jesus, we don't do those things. Mm. So it's a great time to teach them and put into their their spirits Mm -hmm. the Word of God. It is something that, you know, I believe the church needs to really look at. And and I know Sunday tries to be a little bit like that, but it it still doesn't have the same meaning. So I asked you at that same lunch meeting about why was it that the Holy Spirit was silent, it seemed silent anyway, in the Old Testament? Because if God is the same yesterday, today, forever, and the Holy Spirit is actually so active today in the church and in believers, I mean, why was it so hard to see his presence in the Old Testament? Well, actually, if you really read the stories in their context, the Spirit was there always. Israel was always outnumbered by their enemies, yet they remained a sustained people. They weren't conquered. When they needed to build the temple, the Spirit of God went into Bezael and gave him the knowledge and the skill to build the temple. Whenever he needed something specifically done, it would come. Now, it wasn't permanent yet. 
It was a foretaste of what was going to come when the Messiah came. And Jesus said, when I leave and go back home, I'm going to give you the spirit of truth, the one who's going to advocate for you. We find that in John 14, and we find it in John 16, but we find it throughout. Then you get the spirit forever, because our sins have been a, not only covered, they've been atoned for. We've been justified, and now we're righteous before God, because his blood covered our, not only covered our sins, it eliminated it, and when he was resurrected, he defeated death. So that's why the Spirit can live in us forever, because of that righteous act that Jesus did, that saving act that he did at dying on the cross. But dying isn't the only thing. He had to be resurrected. Right. I mean, Jesus wasn't the only Jew that was crucified, but he was the only one that was resurrected. He was the only one that was sinless. So we get his righteousness, he gets our sin. <laughs> what a, what an exchange, right? <laughs> yeah, it's a great deal. That's what Isaiah 53 talks about. So Israel has been called and, and was called in the Old Testament, in the Hebrew Scriptures, a light to the nations and a kingdom of priests. And do you think the Jews ever saw themselves as such? I mean, did they ever think they were a light or a kingdom of priests? I know it's written, but did they ever really think they were? Yeah, they thought they were special. And God didn't choose them because they were special. They're special because God chose them. And they were a light by circumcision, by keeping the food laws, being kashrut, and by keeping the Sabbath. So that way they were a light. But they was a light burning very dimly. They didn't understand the fullness of it. The rabbis talked about when the Messiah comes, he's going to draw the whole world and he's going to illuminate the whole world. And it's going to become because of how we have walked with God. So there was a, a small idea of it that if they kept the commandments and they walked in the ways that God told them that they would be a light, and that would be an attraction to the Gentile. But they didn't understand it fully like we do today, who have the Messiah. You know, when we read through the prophets especially, you see that the one overriding issue with Israel continually was idol worship. It was either high places where they they mixed Judaism and worship of Yahweh to, you know, the, the gods of the nations around them. But it was always idol worship. Why was that such a big deal? I mean, they had the true God, and yet they forgot him and made new gods. Why was that such a problem for them? Well, from the time of Genesis 3.15, when God declared war on Satan, on the serpent, Satan's been at war with us. And whether you like it or not, we're in a war for our very lives. And there is no neutrality. And the wisdom of the world and the lust of the flesh, the boastful pride of life, it's there. So we're constantly fighting that. And we can't do that on our own. We have the Holy Spirit living in our heart. That's how we do it. They didn't have that overall. Even David, who had the Spirit of God on him his entire life, fell to sin. And we fall to sin too, but we have the Spirit in us so we can resist it. You know what my brother Bob said to me on the day that I prayed with him to receive the Lord? He said, Tommy, let me tell you something. 
if you don't believe in Jesus, what you are saying is that you are God. And when I look in the mirror and I look at myself, I'm not a very good God. And then he turned to me, what do I have to do to be saved? Mm. So if you don't receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior, what you really are is an idol worshiper, either of yourself or, you know, the lust of the flesh, wealth, whatever it is, family, that's an idol. Well, as Christians, Tom, we follow, you know, the dictates mostly of the New Testament. Some of us, of course, are much more prolific in looking at the Old Testament and understanding that Torah is still in force as a believer in Christ. We don't practice Torah, but in Christ we do that sort of thing. Yet the olive tree of Israel has never been removed. And in Romans 9, 10, and 11, Paul explains that we have full privileges of that olive tree of Israel when we come to Christ. We get grafted into that. So what privileges are those? I mean, we always talk about the forgiveness of Calvary, but are there other privileges we're not aware of being a part of the olive tree of Israel? Oh, absolutely. And it's, and it's abundant. As you're grafted in, you're grafted into the covenantal promises that God made to Abraham, that God made to David. We see the faithfulness of God to his word, his grace, and his mercy throughout the history so that we know that our faith in Jesus is rock solid. Larry, it's rock solid. Without knowing and understanding that God has kept his promises against all odds to the Jewish people, how would we ever really be sure that our salvation was intact? In fact, how do I know that I'm a, I've been walking with the Lord 43 years? How do I know that I can't trip up and fall and lose all my salvation? I could do something and, and not be with God anymore. Well, if you look at the covenant he made to Abraham, if you looked at the history of the Jewish people and how God said it's not dependent on them, it's dependent on me. They didn't choose me, I chose them. And God not only chose the Jewish people, he created them. Go to Romans 4 and Hebrews 11, and it says that Sarah's womb was good as dead. She was 90 years old when she conceived Isaac. I used to be with my mother-in-law when she was 90 years old. And I read that passage once and I looked at her and I said, yikes, what a miracle. And it oh, yeah. talks about taking death from death and bringing life. And that's what Jesus did for us. Mm. And that's what God has done for the Jewish people. But he kept his promises. We talked earlier about Jeremiah 31. And think about this. He says, behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and house of Judah. Where does it talk about Gentiles in there? It doesn't. It doesn't. That's why they're grafted in. And if you look at Ephesians 2.13 and going forward, they were uncircumcised outside the commonwealth of Israel. But now they're grafted in. They're grafted into the promises that he made to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They're grafted into the covenant he made with David. And the faithfulness of God that we are rock solid sure that Jesus is always going to be there for us. But here's what I also like is, you know, you can read about the new covenant 
in Jeremiah 31 to 34, but it's also, I believe it's in Hebrews 7, verbatim. It's from the Septuagint, so it's almost exactly the same from the Hebrew Scripture. And the Septuagint is a translation of the Hebrew into the Greek. But here's what he says in verse 35, and this is what is important. This is the faithfulness of God. This is what the Lord says. He who gives the sun for light by day and the fixed order of the moons and the stars for light by night, who stirs up the sea so its waves roar, the Lord of hosts is his name. If this fixed order departs from me, declares the Lord, then the descendants of Israel uh, also will cease to be a nation before me forever. And what he goes on and he says, no matter how much they reject me, I haven't rejected them. And what other people have lost their land and their language for 2,000 years and survived through what the brutality of the Romans, the, the Crusades of Europe, the Spanish Inquisition, the Pogons, which is an organized massacre and attack, and remained a distinct people, scattered throughout the world, always a minority, always being persecuted, yet now being moved back into the land. That's the faithfulness of God. You know why I believe that I have salvation and it's rock solid? Because God is a promise-keeping God, and it was never based on us. It was based on God. And here's what he's he says in Ezekiel 11, therefore say, this is what the Lord God says. I will gather you from the peoples and assemble you from the countries among which you have been scattered. And I will give you the land of Israel. We're living in that. When they come there, they will remove all its detestable things and all this abominations from it. That hasn't happened yet. It's still future. But I know it's going to happen because he kept his word from what bringing them back in. And I will give them one heart and I'll put a new spirit within them. I will remove the heart of stone from their flesh and give them a heart of flesh so that they will walk in my statues and keep my ordinance and do them. Then they will be my people and I shall be their God. And he also says virtually the same thing in Ezekiel 36. They weren't believers when he brought them back. He brought them back, and now they're becoming believers. Mm -hmm. In 1948, there was probably five or six believers or followers of Jesus who were Jews. In 1967, maybe a couple dozen. Today, there's 30,000. It's growing, and mm -hmm. it's growing. And that's out of 7 million Israeli Jews. Worldwide, there's 60 million Jews, and there's a million who follow Jesus. But it just keeps coming forward. We're getting closer and closer to what you said earlier, Romans 11, when all Israel will be saved. They'll see their Messiah, him whom they have pierced, which is from Zechariah 12.10. And they'll mourn him and they will receive him as their Lord and Savior. That's so good. What a promise. Tom, if somebody's listening today and they want to just, you know, just email you with a question or a comment, how do they get a hold of you? My email address is Tom, T-H-O-M, Berkowitz, B-E-R-K-O-W-I-T-Z, at iCloud.com. Thanks again, Tom. Enjoy the conversation and the instruction and the teaching. Always a pleasure. Suddenly, I'm faced with this reality that I had always believed to be true, which which is a lie, that, that Jews worship one God, 
and Gentiles and the rest of the world worship this other God. And it was just God himself revealing himself to me in the deepest, most inner part of my heart. No words had to be spoken. It was, it was just there. I know that sounds kind of weird, but it's like as a Jewish person, you could believe in anything else but Jesus. The minute you say Jesus, it's like, shame on you. I felt very shameful uh, about my belief in Jesus. And yet I was really being touched in a way that I'd never been touched before. And it was kind of like dying to self. It was physically painful. I received so much healing and so much life within me. I'm, I'm not talking about things that make you happy or things that make me, you know, feel content and grateful. I'm talking about real deep, hidden joy in the core of your being that when you go to sleep at night, you know wholeheartedly that you are exactly where you're supposed to be and that God has you. He's got your back. And that's how I feel. Thank you for joining us today. Every Friday, we bring you this podcast with interviews with people who are challenging the status quo of Christianity and challenging the cultural norms of our day. Please help us get the word out by sharing the link to this podcast with your online friends and family. Our website also contains other podcasters who are part of the City Sites network of communicators, all sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. Our website is citysitesurbanmedia.com.